Welcome to The Mothers, a podcast that centers the voices of women from across America whose children were killed by police. I'm independent journalist Georgia Fort. And I'm Nico Georgiatis of Unicorn Riot. During this episode, we're going to hear from Tony Biegert, whose son Joseph was killed by officers Matthew Dunn and Brian Cougar of the Green Bay Police Department in 2015. Tony, Joseph's mom, originally called the police concerned that he was having a mental episode. It was one of those times where she wanted to make sure that he got the help that he needed. Now, police claim when they arrived, a struggle ensued. Police say Joseph grabbed a knife and so they feared for their lives. What was really powerful for us is that we were able to travel to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Joseph's mother took us to his apartment where everything happened. That was his bedroom right there. These are the apartments that trees in the way, but that was his apartment upstairs on the left. This was the living room and this is where it happened. Right above the air conditioner, right in there. That's where it happened. They went into that door. Matthew Dunn was arrived here first. And they already had medical out here. Medical was out here. Because like I said earlier, they had already determined they were going to take him into custody. Um, I don't know why, but so medical was out here. And then Brian Kruger showed up. And when he went into the building, he turned his mic off. And we know that because of the dash cam in his squad, squad car. Um, but it was from the time they were dispatched, got to the apartment, entered the apartment, it was less than five minutes that my son was dead. And that's from the time they were dispatched here. And that's all recorded. But by the time when Joseph opened up the door, he was gone and some- Just a little over two minutes. It was a little over two minutes. Yeah, I remember being in the car. I remember being in Green Bay with Tony and, and just remember how challenging it was for her to take us back she hadn't been there very much and yeah i think it was her first time i think so and i think she said she was a bus driver and she even didn't want to be on a route that would go anywhere near where her son was killed and she feels guilty Mm -hmm. because she called the police that ended up killing her son as a mother when i heard her say that uh, man it just broke my heart because I can't imagine what it must be like to live with that guilt, you know? And my prayer for her is that she, she releases that, you know, because it's not, it's not her fault that this happened. Yeah, you know, real quickly as she talked about, you know, depression in, in general, which her son was dealing with, and how even that now is sort of just called a mental illness and people are treating it much more serious mm-hmm. as they did in 2015 and it's only a few years back, you know, but yeah, that guilt, it just, I agree with you. I, I, I think through time, hopefully, it's one of those things where it can be healed.
Now, a few months after Joseph was killed, evidence was released that included a dash cam video with audio that gave us an ear into what really happened. We're going to play a clip from that. Take a listen. Take a listen. Hey, don't get stupid. Get your hands behind your back. on Joseph's door and from the what we do have from audio and and statements from the officers and witnesses from not visual witnesses but the residents that lived in the building at the time from what they heard um, when they first pounded on the door Joseph didn't realize it was the police so he actually calls 911 himself and then I don't really know when he realized it was the police, but he did, and he let them in, and they asked, he sat on his couch, and they asked him if anybody was in the apartment, and he said no, and then he was like, I don't know. So they searched his bedroom, and they asked him if he took any pills, and he said three, but they said they seen some pills on the floor, and... Um, in their own words, they said that he was cooperative, like he wasn't showing any signs of being um, aggressive. He wasn't verbal. Uh, he wasn't yelling at them. Uh, he was just sitting there, and they said he just looked like he was sad. And then they decided they were going to take him into custody, so the officer told him to stand up. He was going to do a pat him down, and somewhere something went wrong, and they intentionally tripped him to the ground and they beat him. They punched him in the face. They were beating him. They tased him. And then they shot him. According to witnesses in the building, it sounded like firecrackers going off. Uh, they actually are lucky they didn't shoot themselves because they blew the TV out one of the bullets went into the apartment downstairs. They actually, I think they retrieved two bullets from the ground. I, I know for a fact one, but I want to say there were two. Shortly after there was a silence, witnesses said it was silent, and then you heard two more gunshots. So they shot my son nine times, and they executed him. They shot him in the head. And then they were still yelling at him to not move, like, don't move, don't move. And it's like, do you really think he's going to move? And then they handcuffed him. I mean, he's gone. He's, he's already gone. And he didn't even die right away. Like, that's another thing, too. He didn't even die right away. You can hear on the audio him shallow breathing. And they didn't even let 
you know, medical into the apartment. Neither one of them performed first aid on my son. They just watched him die. And then it took them several minutes because they had to secure the scene, so. And then it's justified. All of that's justified. How do you justify something like that? How do you say that's okay? And it isn't until after he's shot that you hear one of the officers say, I've been stabbed. And then all of a sudden now we have a knife with no blood. Well, maybe, I don't know. Doesn't look like there's any. Doesn't look like there's blood on the knife. So you were just hearing from Tony Biegert there. Uh, Nico, you know, what else stood out to me about this case? What's that? How the family was treated after it happened. I, I remember she told us that it was hours before she was actually informed that her son had been killed by police. I don't even remember how many hours later, it was lots of hours later. They came to my apartment, four men dressed in uh, suits to inform me that my son was deceased. Uh, they didn't tell us how he died. They just kind of um, pulled, my, my youngest son was there, they pulled him to the side and asked him questions because they had to get some kind of um, feel about who my son was and um, what he was going through. You're listening to episode five of The Mother's Podcast. Coming up, we're going to learn more about who Joseph was and how Tony is turning her pain into power. Into power. to the trumps and the gates so sad to see anybody murdered in cold blood by under trained police trust me there's no love that's why i say burn it down down to the ground and make them feel how we feel yeah i know how that sounds but gee something's gotta change how they treat us is lame the new food's still strange and we ain't trying to hang now tell me why but the children of the slain you know they don't That song is called Why by MC Longshot, made exclusively for the Mother's Podcast. My favorite memories of him is probably him being a goofball or just, I don't know. I, there's a lot I miss about him. He liked playing video games. He was passionate. Like, if a movie was coming out, 
He wanted you to watch the trailer clip. Even if you didn't want to watch it, he'd be like, oh, come on, come on, Ma, you can watch it. Watch it with me. I mean, something, things that he loved, he was very passionate about, and I miss that. I miss the fun part of him. I miss hearing him tell me he loves me, or hey, I even miss him yelling at me, being mad at me, you know, arguing with me. I miss all yeah, that. I miss all that. Tony, like so many of the mothers we've interviewed, has begun to turn her pain into power. Tony has advocated for mandatory crisis intervention training to be implemented in Green Bay and across the state of Wisconsin so that officers are better equipped to deal with someone who's having mental health issues. And that's one of those things, you know, mental health issues leads to a lot of deaths. Uh, those types of disabilities, the police really do not know how to deal with them and are, have really not been trained in dealing with crisis. And so this is a, a quite an important task that Tony's been uh, tasked herself with for these last several years. Um, you know, obviously she didn't want to be doing this with her life. Uh, she didn't want to have her son killed. Well, she's also now, I remember her talking about she put up billboards throughout Green Bay to build awareness of these efforts that you just talked about. The two involved officers that killed Joseph were actually able to attend a training after Joseph's death. However, that didn't quite go the way Tony had hoped. I know that uh, both the officers that uh, shot my son in February of 2015, that followed, that June, they both uh, took the class, but neither one of them finished it. They walked out. They walked out of the class because... They didn't like what one of the speakers had to say. One of the, the speakers, they felt there, that the speaker went off on her own agenda and was directing the class towards those two officers. Well, what her subject was, she said in the in her teaching, she said that if a mother calls 911 to do a wellness check on her child and the child ends up dead, that's not acceptable. So at that moment, they walked out. So they never even completed the course. Completed the course. I'm fighting for them to make it to where crisis intervention training becomes mandatory because that's a program that's a voluntary program right now for um, the police officers, fire department, uh, social services, crisis intervention places to where it teaches them how to handle somebody that's in crisis that's whether they're you know whether it's depression, bipolar, it could be any kind of situation. It could be drug induced, any kind of crisis situation. It teaches them how to handle the person, how to de-escalate a situation opposed to escalating it. Because our officers today do not know how to de-escalate anything. If anything, they know how to escalate it. And once you escalate it, then you lose control of it. And with this um, crisis intervention, it gives them 40 hours. Is 40 hours enough? No, but it's a start. It's something. And does it fix our problem? No, because we have a really big problem. But you got to start somewhere. You got to take those baby steps. So in my town, I'm fighting for it. I've been meeting with representatives, common councils. Um, I've been going to Madison. I mean, I want to eventually meet our new governor. I want this 
program, which is voluntary, to become mandatory in the state of Wisconsin for all officers to have this training. And I'd like to see it incorporated in the colleges where they go to school. Where they go to school. You're listening to episode five of the Mother's Podcast, presented by Unicorn Riot, featuring myself, Georgia Fort, and Nico Georgiades. Music in this episode by DJ Skiz, raps by MC Longshot, recording by Malcolm Wells, and post-production by Different Worlds Music Group. Thank you, Georgia. When we were in Green Bay, Tony Biegert, who's talking about her son, Joseph, took us to a park bench that she also dedicated in honor of Joseph. You know, I didn't even realize this at the time, but the day we were there was the anniversary of my daughter's passing. And what's crazy is I remember at the beginning of July, I you know, was thinking to myself, how am I gonna honor my daughter this year? I always try to light a candle or release balloons or just go through old photographs, right? And so I I was having this thought early in July. And then the next thing I knew, it was August. And I felt so guilty. Because it was the first time after 13 years since she had passed away that I didn't honor her on that day. And so I, I just, I started to cry and I was like, what was I doing? And so I looked at my calendar in my phone and I went back, I said, what was I doing on the day that she, she died? How could I forget that? And when I looked at my calendar, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin with you, with Tony. And I was actually honoring my daughter by amplifying the voice of a grieving mother who may otherwise not have a place to share her story. And so I found peace in knowing that honoring other women in this way has become so much a part of my life and my purpose, right? That like what better way to honor my daughter, you know? And and I think that's how I've turned my pain into power is uh, by understanding that you know it's very challenging to lose a child and um and and i've made it this far and and so if there is any way that i can help another mother who's who's grieving the loss of their child that is that's my duty and and that's how i can help right and that's how i can keep my daughter's legacy alive Uh, but i just i wanted to share that because you know um this isn't necessarily easy work that we're doing but it's very meaningful. For me, it's deeply personal. So we actually had um, Joseph cremated and we don't have a burial spot for him because I wanna wait until I'm deceased and I want our ashes buried together. And so we really don't have a resting place for him. So what we did is so that we had a place to come to and just kind of visit is we put a bench up and you know this is where we come when we want to just talk to Joseph and well I talk to him all the time but you know so I knew I wanted his bench somewhere around here so I picked the spot and you have to purchase the cement and then they just said as long as the plaque can be whatever I want it to be but it had to be a certain size 
if you see all the other ones, they're all the same size, but I wanted Joseph's picture on his plaque. So I went to um, a company that does awards for like trophy awards and told them what I wanted the plaque to look like. I gave them the picture of Joseph and this is what they designed and they did a really good job. You're listening to The Mother's Podcast. That's Tony Beegert. Now, Nico, one of the reoccurring themes I think that we've heard in some of the cases we've covered uh, surrounding police killings has been the mismanagement of mental health crises by officers, them not having adequate training to know how to de-escalate a situation when it involves a person who has mental health issues. I mean, we could point to Kobe Heisler here in Minnesota, another case of an individual having mental health issues and the encounter turned fatal. Oftentimes, you have families who are the ones that are calling police, seeking intervention, seeking help, seeking assistance, and instead, their loved one is is killed. Mental health should not be a death sentence. Having mental health issues is not a crime. So what has to happen? You know, we, we've heard people present legislation to, to help with this. We've, we've heard, uh, even with Tony and her efforts of implementing mandatory training for officers, right? But is that enough? It sure doesn't seem like it at this point. It seems like the police are keen to react violently first and... Uh, think about it later it seems like also though there could be a possible shift in focus we don't know um stuff is now being talked about at least um that i feel like is a very important step i think locally you brought up kobe heisler there's been moves to try to um create a responding team in minneapolis based off of travis jordan's death who was killed by minneapolis police in 2018 and i think you know I think there's consistent efforts and pushes, but I think it boils down to, again, the police and the police force and and the violence that they imbue upon this community just needs to change. They need to be uh, a a function of the community instead of policing the community uh, as an enemy combatant. And uh, the way I look at it, you know, also uh, a side note, locally, um, talking about Minneapolis-St. Paul, We've had numerous deaths based on a, something that just went wrong on the wrong day at the wrong time. We have, even in this mother's podcast, we have Hope Coleman, who's going to talk about Terrence Coleman, her son, who has schizophrenia, was killed by police during the episode. We have Cordell Handy, who Kim Handy Jones is going to talk about in, in episode 10, who just had a bad night, bad reaction to some things. And the police come and they don't as you said uh, they haven't been treating these situations to de-escalate them they come in very violent uh, without the thought of 
intervention. So hopefully some of what Tony is talking about, hopefully some of what Tony is doing is going to help for the future. We talk about Wisconsin. They have some of these killings. Obviously we have Joseph Beeger. We have uh, Tony Robinson who was naked in Madison just a few years back around the same time Tony was. And maybe what he had ate some mushrooms and they ended up killing him because he's bugging out on some mushrooms. There's these situations that violence is so quick for the police to answer um, that needs to change and and i think tony's going about this in oh, the way that she can now in in a proper manner of okay let's take my son's death and let's actually utilize uh some of what went wrong here and see if we can transform some of what can be what can happen right and so we'll see it's it, there's so much so much death so much death they created a narrative, and like the other mother said, they demonize your child, and then it's put all over uh, the news, and uh, they create a story, and that's a story that families have to live with, and like all the other moms said, I know my son. I knew what he was about. My son was depressed. He didn't have a criminal history. You know, he, I, he never was, did anything where you know, the police were called on him for something they did wrong. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs. He was just a quiet kind of guy and and he's not here today. And um, I just want to say that when things like this happen and there's no accountability and it's justified right away and um, families are left behind, they feel like, we feel like, like we're stuck and drowning in a tsunami and you're trying to come up for air, you're trying to understand what's happened, and you just can't get that breath. Thank, thank, thank you for listening to the Mother's Podcast. You can find all of the episodes at unicornriot.ninja forward slash the mothers. And to find out more about my work as an independent journalist, head over to my website, georgiafort.com. You can follow my work, Nico Georgiatis, at Mr. Nico G on social media and NicoG.work. Audio recording and engineering by Malcolm Wells. You can find my work at StonyWells.com and at StonyWells on social media. S-T-O-N-Y-W-E-L-L-Z. What up? This is Longshot, and I provided the raps for the Mother's Podcast. You can support me and my work at MCLongshot.com. Peace. My name is Tariq Thornton. I help edit and produce along with DJ Skiz for Different Worlds Music Group. Peace. My name is DJ Skiz. I made all the beats as well as did the mixing and editing of the Mother's Podcast. You can check me out on social media at DJ Skiz, D-J-S-K-I-Z-Z, or at DJSkizBeats.com. You could also follow Unicorn Riot across social media platforms and find our work at UnicornRiot.Ninja. Unicorn Ride is a 501c3 educational nonprofit media organization dedicated to engaging and amplifying the stories of social and environmental struggles from the ground up. Support our work at unicornriot.ninja slash donate. Part of the funding for this podcast is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.